0: Amen. You can be seated. Thanks so much, team. My name's Dan Jarvis, and uh, it's just a joy for, uh, for me to be a part of the pastoral staff here, along with my wife, Melissa. Um, we're really glad to greet you and see you. And, and I just want to let you know if today is maybe your first day in church or the, the only day you'll be at our church because you're traveling to visit with family, that God really does have a purpose for you. And my prayer is that this little moment here on this Sunday morning will be a turning point for you. Uh, either a turning point from the wrong direction in the right direction uh, or maybe just sort of a turning point of where you sense your life is going. We're we're going to talk about really I think one of the most important subjects that any of us can reckon with and that is what it actually means to live as a Christian, what it actually means to follow Jesus in a literal way and, uh, and I hope that today's really a blessing for you. Um, this, this image that you see on the screen there, we've, we've been walking through this series in Romans chapter 12 since the beginning of September, and we've put this image up every week. This is the Arabic letter N, and in the Middle East, sometimes Christians are designated by this letter, meaning followers of the Nazarene or Jesus. So in the same way that you might see around here, there could be crosses or fish or other ways people signify their Christianity. Um, In Arabic-speaking context, sometimes this symbol is used uh, both by people who want to demonstrate that they're Christians, but also, sadly, sometimes by the persecutors of Christians. And this symbol has been found to be spray-painted on the businesses and homes of people who follow Jesus as a way of marking them and telling other people to stay away. Uh, So as a Christian, we would say, well, it's not so much about what symbol you use, it's about what's behind that symbol. And Romans chapter 12 teaches us what it means to live as a Christian. And one of the things that we've talked about all along, and today's, today we're wrapping up that chapter, uh, but going all the way back to the first day, we talked about the distinguishing mark of Christians everywhere. Do you remember what that is? Regardless of your culture, your language, your context, the one thing that all Christians have in common is that they honor Jesus as their Lord, right? There might be a few other things in common too, but, but when you think about what it means to be a Christian, uh, in your heart it means that you recognize, I, I'm not in charge of my own life. Instead, I'm yielding to Jesus, I'm surrendering to Jesus as the Lord, and I'll follow Him as a result. And so wherever you are in the world, your mark of your true faith is not in the jewelry you wear or the symbols that you carry, it's actually in the the heart commitment you have to follow Jesus as your Lord. Okay, so one encouragement I would have for you today is you can begin your Christian journey today or any day by simply declaring that Jesus is your Lord. That is, you say, here is my life, Lord. All of it, I want to follow you instead of walking my own direction. Uh, That's always the beginning of someone's Christian journey. Now, way back on that first Sunday when we introduced all of this, I gave you all a challenge, a challenge to either wear that symbol as a way to spark conversation in your life, and a lot of you purchased hoodies and t-shirts and things with that Arabic N on it. Uh, Some of you designed t-shirts, which are really cool, and see those floating around our church now. Some of those were passed around. Some of you learned the whole chapter by heart. Um, Others of you engaged in some artistic projects to sort of demonstrate the principles of the chapter, and that's all super fun, and we have one final piece of that puzzle and that is Emily. Are you in here? There's Emily. So Emily took the first message about Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and the outline of that message, which was when it talks about, in view of all that God has done for us, going ahead and offering ourselves to God, Uh, we talked about three things, offering our purpose, our identity, and our vision to Jesus. So Emily grabbed that and made a piece of art out of it and turned that into a magnet which got lost in the mail and has been found in the mail and is now among us here on the last day of the series. So we want to give you uh, a, a little magnet here to remember what we've learned from chapter from Romans chapter 12. And uh, so Emily, do you have some help back there to pass those out? You can go for it. Um, so grab a magnet, stick it somewhere where you might remember, and this can help you think about this series and all that we've learned uh, through it. So as that's happening, I wanted to give you a little bit more. Background on where we're starting from because today we're going into the final piece of the whole chapter. So, if you want to open up your scriptures, you can. Romans chapter 12. Um, in the context of the book of Romans, the, the, the whole book is fantastic and it's really worth a sit down and read. Probably take uh, 30 40 minutes to read the whole thing. Certainly worthwhile. Um, the first part of the book talks about the salvation and the glory and the purpose of Jesus in our lives and all that he does for us. Then we get to Romans 12. And in Romans 12, he says, in view of all of that, in view of all that God has done for you, here's now how you should live. Here's how you walk the Christian way. Here's how you actually follow Jesus. So we've unpacked that over these last few weeks, right? We've talked about hospitality and love and generosity and service and humility and a whole host of Christian virtues that that help us identify how how we're supposed to live with Jesus as our Lord and how that changes everything about us. Uh, Last week we talked about what it means to treat people the way Jesus treats us and this week we're going to read an expansion of that but I thought just for context I'd like you to open up your copy of the Bible here and we'll go to Romans 12 and we're going to go down to verse 9 and start from there and read specifically about how we're supposed to be treating one another as Christian believers, and then we'll sort of, we'll roll right into the text for today. Romans 12 verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think that you know it all. So last week, we zoomed in on that, weeping with those who weep and being happy with those who are happy, and even when it comes to interfacing with our enemies, our adversaries, people that, whether it's on the scale of they just bother you, you don't like them, or they're an all-out enemy and they're against you, how should you treat them? And what we learned was we should treat them the same way Jesus treated his enemies, that we should follow Jesus, not just when it comes to issues of the kind of our heart and our, you know, what's, what's inside, our sense of devotion, but also in the way that we interface with people. The way Jesus interfaced with them is the way that we should as well. Okay, and we summed it up this way. You should be able as a Christian to look at any person and say, hey, I am for you and I'm with you. If you can do that, you're following the way of Christ. That's what Jesus would look at any person and say, I'm for you and I'm with you. Uh, And as his representatives in this world, that's the light that we shine as well. Um, Even when people are rejected or when they're somehow outcast or when they're down or when they're difficult, we would still say, as a follower of Jesus, I'm for you and I'm with you. And then when Jesus looks at us and says, even when it's your enemy, we expanded that thought. We said, okay, even if you are against me, I'll always be for you. Even if you're against me, I'll always be for you that attitude in our hearts leads us to a whole different way of living and interfacing with other people, right? So today in our text, we're going to go a little bit further into how we apply that, because even when we were talking about this principle, you say, well, that that really sounds great, but how does that work with people that are actually against me? Like, how does that work when people are trying to hurt me or harm me? Uh, where do we draw lines? How do we know how we're supposed to interface between love and justice or mercy and retribution? So our next, the next part of our text walks us through that, and, uh, and here's what it says. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. I just want to pause and pray that Jesus will help us see how we're to apply this text to our lives. Lord, we, we read this, and we've, we've heard these principles before, uh, and yet when it comes to the issues of hurt and pain and violence and struggle, oppression all around us, sometimes on the international scene, geopolitically, sometimes on the very personal level of just one person to another, Lord, these verses are easy to read and very difficult to live out and know how to apply. And I just pray that you'd give each one of us wisdom, because we do want to walk your way. And, and we've declared that you're our Lord. We've marked our lives with your name. And so, Lord, what we do, we want it to represent you well. I just pray that you'd give us grace, that you'd give us understanding into how we should go forward from here based on these principles. In Jesus' name we pray. All right, so as we have every week, we'll go through phrase by phrase and just think this through, right? And this isn't just a matter of me standing up here as a teacher and offering you a bunch of wisdom. Uh, I'll do the best I can, but what I, what I honestly believe is that the Holy Spirit will teach you as you think about what God's Word says. So, so I want you to think with me about all of this. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. I just look at the simplicity and the clarity of that, right? Never pay back evil with more evil. That would be the temptation, right? If, if someone wrongs you, if someone offends you, if someone hurts you or hurts your feelings somehow, the, 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 sadly, the natural reaction that we would have is, I want that person to somehow feel the same pain. I want to pay them back in the same way I was paid. I, I want them to know how much they hurt me, or I don't want them to know what their actions cost. And so we're very tempted to pay back evil with more evil. That's not the way of Christ. We never see Jesus doing that. And so as his followers, we say, Lord, even though that might be some sort of instinct I have in me to want to do that, I have to set that aside because you are my Lord now. And I'm not just following my own instincts, my own desires, I have a new master in my life. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. So I was thinking about what this means on different levels, thinking about, well, we, we, we could say at one level that we should be using all reasonable measures to avoid conflict or to resolve conflict with others. Because we're the little Christ in the situation, that means we're the best hope for peace. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago, that the the word Christian actually means little Christ? So in a scenario where there's a conflict, whether it's around the Thanksgiving family table or whether it's out there in the world of diplomacy and politics, if you're the Christian at the table, you are the representative of Jesus. And that means that the best hope for Jesus-like peace in the world or in that situation is going to come through you. And so you set yourself aside and you say, Lord, okay, how do I follow you in this complicated or tough situation? I'm not here anymore to represent myself or my own opinion. I'm here to represent your way. And so how can I be a peacemaker even in a situation where it seems like there's no peace, right? So that's, that's our calling as Christians. So now you say, well, how would I do it? How would I actually live that way especially when it's interpersonal, especially when there's someone who has it out for me or when there's a family member I just can't see eye to eye with. And no matter what we do, we still butt heads. How, how do I connect with that person? Uh, you might even say, how, how do we think of that on, on a bigger scale? Like as a society, when we know that there's tension points out there, we know there are people out there that want to harm us in our way of life. And so how do we, how do we deal with that? Um, I was thinking of the question that I know a lot of people have asked. In fact, someone walked up last week after we talked about being for people and with people, and they said, okay, well, what about terrorists? What about Hamas? What should we do with that? Um, So, the international application of this principle, do do we also think of this sort of nation to nation, uh, and what do we do when evil people would intend to harm us? Okay, so did a little bit of thinking on this, and again, this is, this isn't actually the whole substance of what we're learning about today, but I wanted to take a little aside and just think about this with you because this is the status of our world, wouldn't you agree? There's all sorts of evil people out there that do want to do us harm. So whether you act like Jesus or not, the the person on the other end of of that weapon might still want to attack you. And uh, and so how do we respond as Christians in that situation? Um, So here's a few principles. As I look at all of Romans 12, and think, you know, in so many ways, you look at a whole messed up, convoluted world and go, it's almost like everybody needs to read Romans 12. Everybody needs a dose of humility and hospitality and genuine love and serving one another and, and weeping with those who weep and being happy with those. Like, if we could all grab a hold of that at the same time, our lives would change drastically, right? So I was thinking about how we would think of this when it comes to whether you're thinking military power or self-defense or at any level where you've got evil out there that wants to harm you, and now here you are as the Christian, should you resist that evil? Should you just always turn the other cheek? How do you, how do you process that? So here are some of the thoughts that go through my mind based on what we're studying, and I want to kind of invite you into this discussion, right? So thinking about how we achieve peace As Christians and really how the world ever how anybody achieves peace in any context say what we should be doing as according to our verse is as far as it depends on us as much as we can we're the ones who are honorable and we're the ones that are pursuing peace if you're the Christian that should be you you should never be the one sparking the conflict. You should never be the one prodding somebody on or pushing their buttons. You should never, never be the one that's bringing up the thing that lights the fuse that makes the whole thing explode. You should be the person that's saying, how do I be Jesus in this powder keg situation? So here would be a pathway. Okay? So you might say, well, first we would say peace through invitation. So there's this hospitality dynamic of just welcoming outsiders in saying, you know, if we don't see eye to eye, like, let's, let's talk. So it would be up to the Christian in the situation who's following Jesus to be the one that would reach out and say, let's have a meeting. Let's connect. Let's go sit down over coffee. Let's, let's sit down in Geneva if we're, you know, if we're representing America or something. like, Let's find a place that we can just talk, right? Now, not everybody's willing to do that, but that's the first step. In peace through invitation, okay? Then peace through compassion where you would look at the person who, intends harm, and you would say, well, are are there any ways that that they're hurting? Usually hurt people hurt people, right? Whether you're talking individuals or whole countries, that's typically what's happening. So as a Christian, you want to be aware of that. So you step forward, not just thinking, how do I make my point known? How do I make sure my flag is planted? Instead, you're looking at that other person and you say, "I, I do want to see things through their lens and have compassion the way that Jesus might have compassion in this situation. And then there would be peace through forgiveness to the extent, remember, the the verse says it's sort of as far as it depends on you, you're living at peace. You're doing things in such a way that people can see that you're honorable. It doesn't mean the other person will reciprocate. It doesn't mean there'll be reconciliation, but it means that as the Christian, you're stepping forward with forgiveness, with kindness. You're stepping forward with the intention to make peace, not the intention to make war. Okay, and then peace through grace sometimes, and I I mean very personally, sometimes the reality is the people that you want to make peace with, they're not going to see your point, and they're not going to agree with you, and they're not going to love you, and they're not going to ask forgiveness, and they're not going to say sorry. And at the end of the day, it might be up to you as the person who represents Jesus to just give grace. And what is grace? It's undeserved kindness, undeserved favor, So you might have to just give away something that the other person doesn't deserve. You might have to love them even though they're very unlovable. You might have to grant whatever it is that they're demanding even though they didn't really earn that and they don't really deserve that. Because as a Christian, you have some higher priorities than just making sure your points are made known. And then you would go to peace through strength. And that's where you would say, you know, at the end of the day, And as we go into Romans 13, actually, you would see this. It does say that the authorities don't bear the sword in vain. There's a place for strength. There's not a place for anger, but there is a place for strength. And so, if the moment comes that some sort of violent response is necessary, um, you you would not be stepping into that scenario of either self-defense or military self-defense with the purpose of harming and revenge and like we're going to make them pay and we're going to blow them up, you, you would be thinking more in your heart that, that you're brokenhearted, that it has to come to this, that, that the grace, the invitation, the extension of the olive branch, like none of that works. At the end of the day, you may have to resol- show resolve. You may have to show strength. So peace through strength re- requires not becoming angry and vengeful. And this is where this is, this is tough, right? Because our, what does our flesh want to do if we're attacked? It's not just that we want to stop the attack. What do we want to do to the other person? We want to pay them back. We want them to face a worse attack than what we faced. And that's where as a Christian, you stop and you say, "Wait, even though that's my instinct. And even though there might be chance out there for, "Let's go do it together," as a Christian, my heart is for people and with people, even if they're my enemies. And so we're more like Stephen. Remember when Stephen in Acts 7 was being stoned? They're throwing heavy stones at him. They're ready to kill him. And, and he's not saying, he, he's not yelling in anger back at them. What is he saying? Father, forgive them, just like Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they're doing. He, he's thinking about their souls and their forgiveness even as he's the one under attack. Say, so that's, that's the peace through strength that we want to demonstrate, not, the peace, through, not, not peace through just lying down. Um, sometimes there is a violent reply that's required. Sometimes there is a defense that's necessary. Sometimes you have to go and clean house somewhere in the world. I, I understand all that, um, but we do it to fight against evil for the purpose of good and peace, not because we want revenge. Okay? So I so this is a complicated topic. There's a lot probably more to think about. Some of you who've served in the armed forces, I'm sure you've had to reckon with some of these things in your own soul, in your own thinking. Some of you who've dealt with self-defense situations, you probably have to think about this. My encouragement to you is always to reference your decision-making, not on your emotions, but on what would Jesus do? What, what kind of life has Jesus called me to live? And I believe that we can be strong, and for example, we can be a powerful country with a strong military, or we could be a strong person who's ready to stand up for what's right and defend the innocent. You can do all of that as long as your motivation is not anger and revenge. Because when, that, when you trip that wire, now you become an aggressor as well. Now you're paying back evil with more evil, and that doesn't help anyone. Okay, so we go back to our text, dear friends never take revenge so just read it again dear friends never take revenge so revenge is a dish best never served there it is I have to say that 10 times twice to remember that one right revenge is a dish best never served now does that mean that the person is off the hook if you give up your like right as if you had that to take revenge, does it mean that that person just gets off scot-free and they never have to pay any consequence for their sin? It doesn't mean that. It just means that you're not the judge, jury, and executioner of that revenge. It means that you're you're going to demonstrate faith in God instead of faith in your own understanding about how that person will be repaid. Okay, so instead of I'll make you pay. We're to offer mercy and blessing. That's our call as a Jesus follower. We're to be blessing the people who persecute us, praying for the people who hurt us. That's our job. But that doesn't mean that the person gets off. Okay, look at the next phrase. And I just want you to think this through with me. Think about it logically. If the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. Do you think that that person is going to pay a higher price facing your wrath facing God's wrath when you realize what it means to face God's wrath you might be saying kind of like Stephen wow Lord forgive that guy like don't count their sins against them Uh, because you might realize how what that actually means for that person and so as a Christian you would say my job is not revenge My job is to trust God and to keep representing Jesus in all of these complicated and tough situations to the best of my ability, to be the one that's honorable, to be the one that's trying to make peace, to be the one that offers the pathway out. Um, And at the end of the day, if that harm comes, I trust God to take revenge. It's not in my hands to do that. Okay, an interesting thing, when you see a quote like this, when it says the scriptures in the New Testament, we know that that's referring to a verse in the Old Testament. So it's always an interesting Bible study to find out where that verse is. A lot of your Bibles might have a little note right next to that verse, and you kind of go down to the bottom of the page, and it'll tell you where in the Old Testament you find that quote. Uh, So this one comes from Deuteronomy 32, as Moses was giving the people instructions about what it would be like in the Promised Land. and, and, And he was talking about how if the people of Israel fell away from their faith, and then enemies came in, Um, and God might use those enemies to sort of help Israel get their act together, says, but don't worry, those enemies, they'll have their day in court as well. Uh, God won't forget the harm that's done against his people. Okay, so just look at the expanded verse here. This is what Paul was quoting. I will take revenge. I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip. Their day of disaster will arrive. Their destiny will overtake them. So the question is, do you have faith in God to execute justice, or do you feel like you still have to be involved? This is a step of faith, right? Because if someone hurts me, or someone hurts something I care about, all of my natural instinct is going to be, how do I go fight hard and fight back? But instead, I take the way of Jesus and say, okay, Lord, I trust you that You'll, you'll deal with the revenge, you'll deal with the justice. My job is to keep representing Jesus. So instead, like if you're not going to take revenge, here's, here's your alternative. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. Isn't that interesting? That, that the honorable path would lead you so far away from revenge that now you're stepping forward to serve your enemies. Um, now, there's, there's obviously measures of wisdom in how this works. Um, And you might, you know, if you're facing a personal situation, when you say, I'm I'm not sure how to apply that, hey, that, you know, get with a pastor or a counselor or a trusted friend and work that through. Don't don't walk through tough situations like that on your own. Um, But recognize the principle here, the way forward for you, especially if you have anger in your heart towards someone, is not revenge. And it's not even necessarily ignoring the person. It's actually reaching out. It's actually moving toward them, with love. It might even be with a meal or with a drink, uh, because you're, you're, you're signaling to them, hey, even though you're against me, I'll always be what? For you. And so you're thirsty, here's a drink of water. Did that person earn it? Do they deserve it? No. But we don't earn or deserve grace from God either, and he gives it to us, and so we follow his path, and we walk the same way in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. So there is a little bit of sweet justice that happens in the midst of this, because as you live that honorable part, as you walk the way of Christ, it does say something to the other people on the other side of whatever's going on. Again, this is a quote from the Old Testament. So I thought it was interesting. This is in Proverbs 25. And it says, if your enemies are hungry, it's exactly the same quote. You'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads. But then it keeps going in Proverbs. I don't know why Paul didn't write the rest of this in Romans, but it's kind of interesting to think about. The Lord will reward you. If you'll walk this path, God sees. God knows. So if you have reason to be bitter against someone or reason to be angry, God knows all about that if he sees you following Jesus in the toughest scenarios possible, when everything in you wants to strike back, but you hold back, and instead you try to serve or try to offer blessing, God sees that. He'll reward you. So again, there's an act of faith involved here to walk the Jesus way, to say, I'm not in command of my own life. Jesus is my Lord, and now I'm actually trusting him with the outcomes as well. Uh, I, I don't have to make everything work out. I just have to keep following him. The last phrase here, which is so encouraging. To me, this is almost a vision for our broken world and what we should be doing in the middle of it. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Just take that in for a moment and think about the evil that is done in the world, whether it's evil... Hamas versus Israel, all that stuff, whether it's evil on the streets of a city somewhere where people are fighting, Um, maybe it's evil done to you. Someone cheats you, someone lies to you, someone hurts your feelings somehow. You won't conquer that evil by adding more evil to the story. You'll only conquer that evil if you have the strength to walk in goodness in the midst of that evil. I was reading about um, Constantine. He has a very interesting story. Anybody remember Constantine from world history or maybe Western humanities class or something? Uh, he was a Roman emperor who uh, legalized Christianity in the 300s AD. So, in the Book of Acts, you're at you know you think of like you're kind of like at zero AD or 30 or something, and then the the history starts to go. So you know the Apostle Paul and Rome and all that, and there's all sorts of persecutions coming against Christians at that time. And that's the New Testament era is all in the midst of that. And then things continue to develop. There's more persecution. The Roman Empire is very much anti-Christian. Um, and then Constantine comes along, and he has his own conversion experience to Christianity. And as a result, he legalizes Christianity. It's now tolerated in the empire. And by the end of his life, he was actually practicing as a generous Christian emperor. Now, oh, you could say that's probably not totally wise to mix politics and Christianity, but when you read what he did, you say, well, it kind of makes sense. Like he was he was giving to the poor, and he was helping build churches, and he was trying to make wrongs, all the rights that were done, in, in the, or make right all the wrong that was done in the persecution era. And, uh, and here's one of the things that happened to him, which, you know, you read some of these historical things, you're not sure if you should totally trust it, but uh, this is what he said. Uh, happened to him. Eusebius was a, uh, a Christian leader, a bishop, who wrote of Constantine. He, Constantine, said that about noon, this is when he's getting ready for a battle, uh, the day was already beginning to decline. He saw with his own eyes the trophy of a cross of light in the heavens above the sun and bearing the inscription, conquer by this, or in this sign, Conquer. Okay, so Constantine's getting ready to battle. He's not sure what's going to happen. He looks up in the sky. He sees something like this. Did he really see it? Who knows? But he thought he saw it. And he thought that this was a sign from the Christian God that he needed to put that symbol on all the Roman shields and swords, which they did. And that's, that still carries through. If you read medieval history, there's crosses on everything. You say, how'd that happen? It, this was where it started. Um, and Constantine marched across the world, conquering in the name of Jesus, but with a little bit of a different tilt on his conquests than other conquerors like Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great that were conquering for their own. He thought he was conquering to bring good to the world. Okay, so you have to read about this on your own and kind of judge whether any of this was right or wrong. Uh, but it's really interesting to read what his logic was and what he believed um, he, he did sort of save Rome from all sorts of evil people, and he restored all sorts of freedoms for people, so it wasn't all bad. Um, but I think about this little thought, in that sign conquer. Say, hey, Well, that's not exactly what Jesus taught us, is it? He didn't tell us to take up our cross and hold it forward in battle and run toward other people and defeat them. Uh, he told us to take up our cross and follow him the same way he carried it, we carry it. So it made me think of this. True faith isn't a matter of our symbolism about Jesus. It's a matter of our surrender to Jesus. That's how we'll conquer. When we put our faith in him and we walk his way, in that way we'll conquer evil. We'll conquer evil in our own hearts, and we'll start to conquer the evil that's all around us. Step by step, choice by choice, act of love by act of love, we revolutionize the world as we follow Jesus. So I'm not worried about whether there was a cross in the sky or whether the cross up there you know, has to hang there forever or something. That, the symbols are the symbols. The, the thing that matters more is the distinguishing mark of real Jesus following in your life, your surrender to him you say, Jesus is my Lord, and I'll walk his way. So how evil conquers weak Christians, that's bitterness, anger, revenge, striking out. How strong Christians conquer evil, mercy, self-control, blessing, serving. It takes a lot more strength to not get angry than to be somebody that loses their cool all the time it takes a lot more strength to not be the person that fights back to let that revenge set for the righteous anger of God and not try to take it yourself it's weak and cowardly to run on emotion but when you can say Lord I'm not here for me anymore and so I'll set my emotion aside and I'll follow you in that you'll find strength and you'll be able to walk this new road, that no matter what evil comes at you, no matter what the world throws at you, no matter what gets thrown at our country, no matter what's thrown at you personally, maybe even by people you love, um, sure it hurts, sure there's pain, but it doesn't throw you off track from you being a Jesus follower, because your definition uh, is that He's your Lord. Your purpose, your identity, your vision, they're all tied to Him, not just to you. And so you would say, Lord, how could I be an agent of your mercy in this tough scenario? Or how how can I exercise self-control even though everything in me wants to explode with anger? Uh, How can I give blessing to the people that I kind of wish I could offer revenge to, but I'm not going to serve that dish. Instead, I'm I'm following you. Um, How do I serve? So the principles we've learned in Romans 12 are the most powerful weapons the world has ever known. Uh, they could transform whole empires, whole countries, whole communities. They can transform you and your next step, your next decision that you make, your family. It all begins with your surrender to Jesus as your Lord. So two questions to wrap up today. pray about uh, how will you bring humility, hospitality, love, service, and compassion into the world this week as Jesus is representative and wherever the places are that you go? And where will you conquer evil by doing good? So Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to help us answer those questions. Uh, Jesus, thank you for offering, of, offering us your path of life. We need it. We know that if it was left up to us, the world would just be a more and more violent place and only the most selfish or most aggressive would end up surviving but you've called us to a higher road you've called us to lay aside selfish ambition and angry revenge and you've called us to follow you down a difficult and yet joyful road Lord, all of us know that our world is filled with anger and evil, and we all know that there are persecutors, and there are abusers, and there are criminals, and there are angry people all around us, and sometimes, Lord, we're those people doing the harmful things to one another. So Jesus, would you transform us? Would you rescue us from our sin?